Torah, popular TV and radio broadcast, Discovering the Jewish Jesus, and he has much to say. I'm looking at his picture right now. He has a shofar in his hands. I don't know if you knew this, uh, Rabbi, but I think I have five or six shofars of every size and description, and even trained my oldest grandson to win the shofar-blowing contest for a Messianic congregation four years in a row. So we have some kind of connection here, uh, even though yours truly is not Jewish. But my understanding of the scriptures is that there's an Israel and then there's an Israel of God. And there might be a serious difference in understanding if we're trying to look at the Bible, we're trying to look at the book of uh, the Tanakh, the Old Testament, trying to look at the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and then trying to reconcile all of that with the New Testament, something's got to give. We've got to have a revelation. We've got to have an understanding. And I believe that that's what you're here to talk about here today with your book, Messianic Prophecy Revealed. And so I want to welcome you to the program. Rabbi Schneider, join us live here on the program today. Welcome. God bless you. It's an honor to be with you, Chuck, and I'm excited for what God's doing. I sense the passion for truth in your heart, and you're so correct, because in the world today, there's such confusion, there's such compromise, and there's such lukewarmness that there needs to be a remedy and a uplifting of God's people to be able to stand solid and confident and bold in the truth. And I believe that when God's people understand the Hebrew roots or the Jewish roots of their faith, when they understand messianic prophecy, when they understand how the Old and New Testaments connect like a hand and a glove, it really buffers them up so they're able to stand against the spirit of confusion and compromise that we're all facing today. This is really important. That's why the Lord began in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, with these words, This is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So the Lord saw fit from the very first verse of the New Testament to root our faith all the way back to the Torah. You know what? Let me me share something with you about that. Um, A number of years ago, I was reading through the Scriptures, as I do as a common practice, and I came to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. And here we are, uh, like the begats, a whole history, a genealogy, and so on. And I read that verse, and all of a sudden, I began to weep. Now, who who has ever wept over the genealogies? But I did. There was something like a grand revelation. This is the book of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The son of David by the flesh, the son of Abraham by faith. And that links professing Christians who are Gentiles with Jewish people and without the Jewish people and their history and their background, we Gentiles are nothing. Well, you know, continuing on that line, Chuck, there is so much of a lack of revelation about who the God of the Scriptures is when we don't have a fundamental understanding of how the Lord revealed himself in the Hebrew Bible. For example, the fear of the Lord. You look at the fear of the Lord in the Hebrew Bible, it's a way different animal than many modern-day Christians understand what the term the fear of the Lord means today. Many contemporary Christians think the fear of the Lord just means to respect God, 
just be in awe of him. Which oh, is, it's far least, more than that. It's far more than that. And you learn that when you understand the Hebrew Bible and how God revealed himself there. Let me just share something with you, because you just hit a term that has been uh, quite precious to me a number of years ago. I was on my way uh, to a pastor's breakfast, and I've uh, been regular uh, person there, and as I was crossing the James River, uh, America's Birth River here in Richmond, Virginia, uh, the Lord spoke to my heart, uh, and I had asked him why uh, we didn't have revival in our country after all these years of praying uh, for it. And he said, well, uh, my pastors are not preaching righteousness, so there's no fear of the Lord in the land. And I thought about that for a moment, and then he said, and by the way, that's why your country is going down the drain, because Mm. you're not walking in righteousness, as there's no fear of the Lord in the land. So I got to the pastor's breakfast, and uh, as we were sharing coffee uh, around the tables and so on, just as you and I are sharing coffee from coast to coast here, uh, I mentioned this conversation to the pastor of a large evangelical church. And as I mentioned this, my people, my pastors are not preaching righteousness and there's no fear of the Lord in the land. He hung his head and here's what he said. Chuck, I don't think I even know how to preach righteousness. Now this was the pastor of a very large evangelical congregation that had its roots in the holiness movement. Think about that statement. I don't think I even know how to preach righteousness. Yet the Bible says that righteousness is the habitation of God's throne and exalts a nation. Well, praise God he had the humility to to admit that and confess that. Exactly. Everything comes by revelation. You think think in the brief Hadashah, which is the Hebrew way to say the New Covenant Scriptures, as you may know, and when Jesus said, don't fear man, it's able to destroy the body and then do nothing more, but fear him who's able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Yeshua was talking about way more than having awe and respect. He was talking about fearing the Lord, which involves understanding the consequences for living in rebellion against him. And the the fear of the Lord, it's not opposite the love of God. Sometimes people can't reconcile the two. They work together. The fear of the Lord, to me, involves the love of God. I love the fear of the Lord. You know, in the book of Isaiah, it says the spirit of the fear of the Lord will rest upon the Messiah. I, the fearing the Lord, to me, I love it, because sometimes it's not enough just to feel love to obey. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to fear the Lord to obey. Did you and know, Rabbi, and I'm sure you do, that the Scripture actually says that Yeshua, the Messiah, had to make a quick learning or education in the fear of the Lord for himself? He, he learned obedience by the things that he suffered, what exactly are you saying, my friend? Well, it also says he had to make a quick learning in the fear of the Lord. It's amazing. Just amazing. I saw that one day, and I thought, wow. And he's our model, and if he had to make a quick learning of the fear of the Lord in the flesh, then why shouldn't we? Amen. Well, we're talking about the connection between the Hebrew Bible that we call the Old Testament and the New Covenant Scriptures, the Brief Hadashah, and what we lose when all we know is the revelation that we have in the New Testament, because the New Testament, as we know, is rooted in the Hebrew Scriptures. I think another thing that's lost 
good the church to hold, do. Hold, hold that thought for the, uh, till after this break. Hold on. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint, my friends. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer's conversation is always with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. Our special guest today, Rabbi Kurt Schneider, uh, with his book, Messianic Prophecy Revealed, Seeing Messiah in the Pages of the Hebrew Bible. Now, I want to make the book available to you before we go on. It's a $20 book, yours for $16, on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Messianic prophecy revealed seeing Messiah in the pages of the Hebrew Bible. Now, before the break, I had to cut you off, uh, Rabbi. Uh, do you remember what uh, you were about ready to uh, well, speak? a couple things. Yep, I do, my friend. Thank you, Chuck. A couple things. Number one, quickly just picking up on your break regarding homosexuality. And, you know, sometimes it sounds like Christians are down on homosexuals and the LGBT movement. Mm-hmm. We're not down on anybody. There, I have nothing but love in my heart for people that are in that lifestyle. Many people that are trapped in same-sex attractions, those are their earliest memories. But there's a difference between loving people and condoning a movement or endorsing behavior right. that the Scripture explicitly say is wrong. And one of the things we learn in the Hebrew Bible from the very beginning, in the beginning, God created them male and female. This is just common sense, as everybody knows, that two men cannot propagate, two men cannot be fruitful and multiply, and neither can two women, that that's the command that God gave to Adam and Eve when he created them. And in the Hebrew Bible, we see what behaviors are God-designed and in divine alignment, and which are not. I've recently launched an explosive movement called Taking the Rainbow Back. I want to encourage our viewers to go to the website, takingtherainbowback.org, takingtherainbowback.org. I'm organizing a movement in the month of July where God's people will be wearing T-shirts, very subtly done, with a rainbow on them, and then scripture on them. For example, Revelation 4-3, where there's a rainbow around God's throne. We need to take back what the devil has hijacked. And a lot of uh, this, I think, compromise within the Church on this issue of the LGBT movement, the alphabet uh, community, uh, mm-hmm. and Christians bowing to that, it's because they're not rooted in the Hebrew Scriptures, because God explicitly condemned homosexuality in the Hebrew Scriptures. All right, so how do you explain then, uh, Rabbi, how do you explain the uh, uh, pride parade uh, down the streets of uh, Jerusalem How do you explain the explosion of the uh, LGBTQ movement in the former capital of Israel, Tel Aviv? Uh, It's as if 
Israel has gone the same way as America. Both of us covenant nations, both of us founded on a covenant with, with the God, with God and having repudiated the most fundamental symbol of his promise, that of the rainbow. It's unbelievable, and it's the enemy. I mean, that's all there is to it. And Tel Aviv is one of the most openly homosexual cities in the world, if not the. So, uh, yeah, this is a time to stand by. Go to the website, takingbacktherainbow.org. If God's people will come together and unify around this explosive movement, it can make a difference, and we can take back the rainbow for the glory of God. But what I was sharing with you, Chuck, at the break before the commercial was this. One of the other things that I think the Church has lost because of not being schooled in the revelation of the God of Israel that comes to us through the Old Testament is an understanding of the sovereignty of God. Mm-hmm. There are so many today, and the way they teach is that if anything bad happens in the earth, God would never have done it. That God would never be responsible for an earthquake that he'd never be responsible for a flood, that he'd never be responsible for illness. Anything good that happens is from God. This is what many New Testament teachers are teaching. And anything bad that happens, that's the devil. In other words, there's no judgment for for sin and unrighteousness and rejection of uh, Yeshua as Messiah, because after all, God is loving. Exactly, exactly. And you look in the Hebrew Scriptures, and you see God taking responsibility. For example, in the book of Isaiah, the Lord said, I am God, and there is no other. I cause well-being, and I create calamity. I cause good, and I create evil. I am the Lord that does all these things. There's an emphasis on the fact that there's only one God. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so important for us to have soundness of mind to understand that the Lord is, we say in Hebrew, Adonolam, the master of the world. And it's so helpful for us as God's people when we understand that God is sovereign. There's not like a tug-of-war going on between God and the devil. Satan had to get permission to touch Job. Well, that's true. And actually, we've substituted Tikkun Olam for Adam Olam. Mm. We're just letting God do everything you're saying rather than... Yeah, we can do it ourselves. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we have a situation where uh, Moses said, uh, God is going to send for somebody just like me, and he's going to uh, uh, give you what you need, provide in my place. And so the Jewish people, by and large, have adopted that as saying that the Messiah, when he comes, will not be divine He'll just be a mere man, just like Moses. Moses died, so apparently the Jewish thinking is that the Messiah will die, and I don't think they think much beyond that. Then what will happen? So we've got a real problem, don't we? Well, I think that's one of the things that I hopefully bring to light in my book, Messianic Prophecy Revealed. I go into the Hebrew Scriptures, Mm -hmm. and I show the prophecies there. For example, Micah chapter 5, where it says one's going to come forth from Bethlehem, whose goings forth are from the days of eternity. And once again, I think the... In other words, he's divine. He's divine, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, I think when God's people understand that the roots of their faith don't just go back 2,000 years 
but go back over 4,000 years, right. and that the God of Israel is the one true and only God, and Yeshua is the one that he's promised from the very beginning. It roots them and grounds them, because as you know, there are too many people that self-identify today, Chuck, as Christians, mm-hmm. but yet they don't really, they're not fully convinced that Jesus is the only way to heaven. So understanding Messianic prophecy and how Yeshua fulfills it really strengthens believers' backbone to be able to stand. Jesus is the only way. I understand that. And here's why. And it begins with understanding the role of blood as a means of atonement going all the way back to the beginning in the Hebrew Bible. Well, it sure does. And uh, you've done, uh, I, I personally think that the, uh, the real substance of your book is in the final chapter. Uh, 21 fundamental messianic prophecies that would help any single person, whether they be Jew or Gentile, believer or not, to understand and comprehend the picture that has been portrayed from the beginning of the book, Genesis chapter 1, all the way through Revelation chapter 22, but particularly through Malachi chapter 4. In other words, the whole Old Testament of the Tanakh. And... uh, all of these passages that you quote and uh, discuss briefly in this final chapter, 21 Fundamental Messianic Prophecies, have to lead any rational person to the conclusion, you know what, if I have not seen Jesus or Yeshua as the fulfillment of the Messianic promises, I've been blind in one eye and refuse to see out of the other. Right. Yeah, very, very well said. What's really interesting, and what I love about this study of Messianic prophecy, is a lot of people have heard sermons, or they've, made, they've heard statements made such as this. There's over 300 Messianic prophecies in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. and Jesus fulfilled every single one of them, and the chance of one person fulfilling all 300 of these is scientifically, mathematically impossible. But the problem with that statement, Chuck, is a lot of the messianic prophecies that Yeshua fulfilled are not prophecies that can be scientifically measured. Mm-hmm. In other words, messianic prophecy, some of it's predictive, like the one we just quoted from the book of uh, of uh, uh, Micah, right. where he was, his goings forth would be from the days of eternity, and he would come from the city of Bethlehem, or the one that you quoted from Malachi, that a messenger would go before Yeshua, preparing the way of the Lord. Those are predictive prophecies that we can say, yes, it really happened just the way the Scripture said it would, and we can scientifically and objectively verify. But a lot of understanding Messianic prophecy is in the realm of types and shadows, and seeing how Yeshua fulfills Israel's destiny by going through the same things in his own life, and ministry that Israel went through. Let me give you a beautiful. It was example. as if it was as if Yeshua became the divine expression of of shall we say Israel incarnate. Exactly, Israel's divine head. Exactly. So a great example of that would be in Matthew chapter two, where we know that uh, Herod was killing all the male Hebrew children because he had heard the Messiah was born. He was threatened. He wanted to eliminate the threat. So an angel comes to Joseph, says to Joseph. Take the child, take Jesus into Egypt, because Herod's killing the children. So Joseph and Miriam take Yeshua into Egypt. Then when Herod dies, the angel comes back to Joseph and says, Take the child back into Israel now. Herod's dead. And then Matthew writes that the Scripture 
might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt have I called my son. Right. Did you know I wrote an entire book called Out of Egypt? Did you know know that that. over 400 times from Genesis to Revelation, the words out of Egypt or similar words can be found? The word Egypt is mentioned over 600 times, and all the way from Abraham up through Yeshua, the command was out of Egypt, out of Egypt, out of Egypt. What's interesting in this particular instance, Chuck, is that what, what was specifically being quoted by Matthew is only found in one place in the Hebrew Bible, and that's the book of Hosea, chapter 11, verse mm-hmm, 1. Mm-hmm. That's the specific phrase, out of Egypt did I call my son. It's only one place in the Hebrew Bible, once again, in the book of Hosea, chapter 11, verse 1. So you go to chapter 11 uh, 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 of Hosea, verse 1, and read it, and what's going on there is that Hosea, he's not making a predictive prophecy about God calling the Messiah out of Egypt. What Hosea is actually doing is simply recounting Israel's past history, reminding Hosea and the Hebrew people that he delivered Israel out of Egypt during the Exodus. So you kind of scratch your head when you read it, because you think, how did Matthew use that and then say that Yeshua fulfilled it? When Hosea wrote it, it wasn't even a predictive prophecy, and no one that read it going to the book of Hosea would think it was predictive. Except except if they knew that Abraham had to come out of Egypt before Israel ever went into Egypt, and that Moses had to come out of Egypt, and that Israel had to come out of Egypt, and God couldn't get enough Egypt out of uh, Israel, but to allow two of 600,000 men uh, into the Promised Land, and that Yeshua himself had to come out, it seems that uh, uh, the the message of the Torah and uh, the Tanakh is that everyone who follows the Lord must not just come out of Egypt as a nation, but must leave the spirit of Egypt and walk in the spirit of the promised land. Well, that's truth. And the point is, is that Yeshua filled Israel's history up with meaning by going through the same thing that Israel went through in his own person. And that's the way exactly. a lot of the new yeah, that's the way a lot of the New Testament writers use messianic prophecy. So to understand how they use messianic prophecy, it's important to understand the concept that sometimes messianic prophecy, Chuck, is more of an art than a science and more music than math. Mm-hmm. And that's why Yeshua had to take his disciples on a journey through the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms opening their eyes to show them all the places in the Hebrew Bible that was pointing to him, because sometimes it's not readily apparent without revelation. Well, that's absolutely true. But one of the passages that really grips me is Psalm 2. Uh, I think it's one of the most profound prophetic passages in the Bible. And here it is, the psalmist who who writes... Uh, you know, why do the heathen rage that people imagine a vain and foolish thing? Uh, they, they are coming against the Lord and against his anointed Israel, saying, let's tear their bands asunder. God's going to have them derision. He's going to laugh at them. And then he makes this statement. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill. I've, set, I've already set my king, in caps, on my holy hill. Then he says, then he goes on to say, kiss the sun... Otherwise, yep. you're going to fear you're going to deal with his wrath. This yeah, is so, so clearly so- obvious 
referring to the Messiah. And uh, we'll talk more about that when we get back. This is a very powerful prophecy. Psalm 2, friend, you might want to go back and read it. Kurt, Rabbi Kurt Scheider, our guest today, Messianic Prophecy Revealed. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. In the New Testament, it says his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Where do you think that came from? Was that just picked up out of the thin air? No, it came directly from Isaiah chapter 7, 14, which says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son. You'll call his name Emmanuel. This is one of those direct direct proofs messiah would be called emmanuel god with us and indeed he was but back to psalm 2 uh give us the uh, full understanding of that well i think that we've touched on the obvious point of it and i think what's interesting is that israel the nation of israel i'm speaking of jewish people as most of our listeners know i myself am jewish born jewish raised jewish was uh, born and raised in Beechwood, Ohio, which is a suburb of Cleveland. We actually, uh, where I lived, Chuck, growing up, actually had the second highest concentration of Jews anywhere in the world outside of Israel. Like, Are you kidding Jews. me? Yeah, no. Not That's as, not news. <laughs> yeah, 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 it was like, it's just, it, not as many Jews where I live as in Los Angeles or, or New York, but the concentration was listed as the second highest in the world anywhere outside of Israel. Very interesting. Why do you think that is? Well, Jewish people, a lot came to Cleveland, and we, you know, we're a clannish people. We stick together because of persecution and because Mm -hmm. of our call. So birds of a feather are flocking together. That's it. Our schools were actually closed. The public schools were closed on Jewish holidays because no one would show up. And I knew nothing about Yeshua. I knew nothing about Jesus growing up. All my friends were Jewish. No one had ever witnessed to me. I had never read the New Testament. Chuck Jesus was as far away to me as the man on the moon. So how did you Seriously. connect with how did Jesus connect with you? Well, what happened was I went through a very difficult time in my life at 18 years old. I was a very committed athlete. I wrestled all through high school, got a wrestling scholarship to college. But when I walked off the wrestling mat after wrestling my last match in high school, it was like I lost my identity. So hmm. I was really lost and searching and struggling didn't know what to do to give myself the feeling back that wrestling gave me. And someone told me about a book they were reading called Autobiography of a Yogi by this Swami from India. <laughs> and, was, and was telling me that the Swami could levitate off the ground and beat up tigers with his bare hands. I found that so fascinating 
I went out and purchased the book, and I'm like enthralled with this. And I, there's pictures there, this guy supposedly levitating off the ground. And I always had a simple faith in God. I was for a mitzvah in a conservative synagogue, but, you know, I wasn't a religious Jew. I'm just Jewish. But I had a simple childlike faith. And I said, God, if this is real, if this guy can really levitate off the ground, I found my new wrestling. This is what I want to do with my life. I want to do whatever I need to do to be able to levitate off the ground. Because <laughs> this is a higher reality than making money. And I could only imagine how good I feel levitating off the ground. <laughs> so I'm in the middle of reading this book, and I go to sleep one night. It was a hot August night of 1978. Again, no one had ever witnessed to me. I never read the New Testament. Jesus was as far away to me as the man on the moon. He never entered my mind. I go to sleep on this hot August night. I was 20 years old. In the middle of the night, Chuck, I was awoken from my sleep out of a dead sleep into what I describe as a state of supernatural conscious awareness. Suddenly I realize I'm not sleeping. Something's going on. I'm aware. And in color, Jesus, in a vision, appeared on a cross. I could see the, the cross staked in the ground. There were people in the distance looking at him as he was being crucified. And then a ray of red light from straight through the sky, from straight through the blue sky, came down on his head. And when I saw that ray of red light come straight through the sky onto Jesus' head, I knew that that red light was coming from God. As an American, I knew the person on the cross was Jesus, and I knew that God, Chuck, had just revealed himself to me and showed me that Jesus was the way to him. And I talk about that in my autobiography called Call to Breakthrough. Mm. Amazing what I faced as a Jew. I mean, even with my family and, you know, my parents hired someone to kidnap me and deprogram me. And it just, uh, you know, it's, 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 a, it's, it's uh, you know, you have to be able to really um, um, withstand a lot of rejection as a Jew believing mm. in Jesus. Well, that's true. In fact, increasingly, you have to be able to withstand a lot of rejection to claim to be uh, a follower of Christ as a Gentile as well, even in America. Uh, that's so that's the, that's the spirit that we're in right now, just as Jesus foretold it was going to be, just as the prophets and uh, the apostles foretold. Now, uh, there's so many other things here in your final chapter 21, Fundamental Messianic Prophecies. Uh, Messiah would come forth from the tribe of Judah, uh, not from the tribe of Levi. Why? Why is that? I don't have an explanation other than the Lord decided that's the way he wanted to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. The scepter will arise from Judah and will not leave us, you know, the throne will not depart from Judah. The Lord told us in the Torah, so right. he's got his reasons. All right, so he has his reasons. How about coming from the line of David? Uh, the same thing as we know, David Melech, that's the King David, is Israel's uh, most famous and celebrated king, a man after God's own heart. Mm-hmm. a warrior, and um, again, the Lord just chose the line he would come through. And uh, and David, although obviously he had some tremendous falling and failure, he also was a man that loved God, showed incredible uh, integrity at times. And repented. And repented, and, um, you know, had, had a heart that God supernaturally wrought with them that was, uh, you know, Jesus in the book of Revelation said he was the offspring of David. So David uh, had some tremendous qualities of sensitivity in his heart for the Lord, and, and, and you just read the Psalms. And, uh, yeah, the Lord revealed the line that Messiah would come through, all the way tracing it back to the very beginning. No question about it. Friends, we're talking with uh, uh, Rabbi Kurt Schneider. 
his book Messianic Prophecy Revealed, Seeing Messiah in the Pages of the Hebrew Bible. Uh, Without the Hebrew Bible, uh, we wouldn't have the Bible. Uh, You cannot understand the New Testament without first truly understanding the Old Testament. By the way, we were talking about coming out of Egypt. And uh, since coming out of Egypt, by the way, I believe is the overarching, most repeated theme in the Bible, period. Nothing even close. And uh, the reason for that is that you can purport to come out of Egypt just like uh, 600,000 men who were the covenant seed of Abraham, heirs according to the promise, but not one of them was allowed into the promised land after having been taken out of Egypt, except for two. And they had another spirit. They actually believed and trusted God while the others did not. So the reality is you can claim to come out of Egypt, but God just for some reason can't seem to get Egypt out of you. That's what he really wants. He wants us to trust him. Yeah, the rabbis have a saying, Chuck, that it was easier to get Israel out of Egypt than to get Egypt out of Israel. That's exactly right. I did not know that rabbinic saying, but that's what I've been repeating for 30 years now. (laughs) Okay, now, uh, one of the things that uh, is fascinating, I think, is that uh, Messiah's ministry would be in Galilee, uh, there in the book of Isaiah, the Old Testament, the the Tanakh, uh, it was foretold that his ministry would take place in Galilee. And what's so interesting about this is that Galilee was like the, uh, it was worse than the outskirts of Jerusalem. It was like a no man, a spiritual no man's land uh, from the viewpoint of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders of Israel, And they mocked the whole idea of Galilee being worth anything and said, can anything good come out of Galilee? So why was Jesus to come out of Galilee? Well, the Lord always delights in choosing that which is nothing to confound the wise and the foolish. It was also significant that uh, that region was also referred to as a place where Gentiles live, right. where, which reflects the fact that Yeshua's ministry would be to both Jews and Gentiles. But I want to focus, Chuck, on something in the book that I think will be a real blessing. Go for to it. All our, uh, one of the most profound uh, 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 messianic prophecies that Yeshua fulfilled is how he brought to fruition and fulfillment the great act of Abraham and Isaac called in Hebrew, the Ha'akadah, which mm-hmm. means the binding, the binding right. of Isaac. They're at Mount Moriah. Went, yep, on Mount Moriah, which is the site of the, where the temple was built because of Abraham's great act. Mm-hmm. Usually, when we think of this act, we focus all of our attention on Abraham, how Abraham was so willing to obey God that he was willing to sacrifice. The Scripture calls Isaac his only son even though Isaac was not his only son, but it was his only son from Sarai, his wife. But what we don't understand sometimes is that according to rabbinic tradition, Isaac was not 8 years old or 11 years old, which is typically displayed in the pictures exactly. that we see in of this act. According to rabbinic Judaism, when Abraham offered up Isaac, Isaac was 37 years old. In other words, Isaac had to be... Uh, submissive to his father 
and his father's will, and that is incredible under these circumstances. It's unbelievable. It's such an incredible picture of Yeshua, how Yeshua, through his own volition, was willing to offer up his life to his father because he loved his father so much. So that when you understand this from a rabbinic perspective, it's not just Abraham that's the story, but Isaac equally becomes the hero of the story. Now, here's another great truth that's important for our listeners to realize today. According to rabbinic tradition, the grace of God had been largely cut off from the earth until Abraham offered up Isaac. And when Abraham offered up Isaac and Isaac willingly laid his life down, that opened up a channel or a conduit for the grace of God to flood the earth once again since the fall. Mm. And you think about that in relationship to Father God uh, sending his son to earth, Yeshua, Yeshua, willingly offering up his life back to his father and how Yeshua's act opened up the channel for the grace of God to come to the earth in the fullest sense. There are so many beautiful pictures from the patriarchs and the prophets that Yeshua brought to fruition and fulfilled, filled full in his own life. Well, that's exactly right. And uh, you've revealed so many of these things in uh, your book, Messianic Prophecy Revealed. Friends, uh, I, I think you just might want to get a copy of this book. It's a $20 book. Yours for $16 on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us at $5 for postage and we'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Again, it's always a delight to come before you here on Viewpoint to talk about the things that matter most. And quite frankly... Uh, you may not think that what we're talking about here today has a significance, has even political significance, economic significance, and so on, but it really does. In fact, the significance of what we're talking about today finds its way uh, throughout all of the events that are taking place in our world as we speak. We just aren't aware of it. We're just not aware of it because we see things linearly rather than biblically. And uh, our special guest today, uh, Rabbi Kurt Schneider, is saying, no, there's a much bigger picture here that we need to be aware of in order to fully understand what's going on and understand the relationship between Israel and its 4,000-year history and the Gentile world and the events that are taking place now and what we're going to see in most likely the very 
near future. And uh, that brings us to a question. Uh, I'll use this as a preliminary question, a foundational question. In Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53, we find a very clear, seemingly very clear picture of uh, the Messiah, the prophesied Messiah, and what would happen to him and why it would happen. Uh, And yet those passages, the rabbis in the various synagogues refuse to read in public. Why is that, Kurt? Well, it's it's obvious. There's uh, there's such a strong resistance uh, amongst Jewish people to Yeshua, to Jesus, that the rabbis don't want to give their people any cause to doubt that Jesus is not really the Messiah. To the rabbis, Jesus is fine for the Gentiles. Believing in him is a lower-level religion, but it's better than nothing. At least it keeps the Gentiles from, uh, you know, from sinning. Uh, in more significant ways and hold society together. But the reason that such Jew, that Jewish people have such animosity towards Yeshua is, is twofold. Number one, in John chapter 11, we read the story of Yeshua raising Lazarus from the dead. Right. And after Yeshua raised Lazarus from the dead, the leading scribes and Pharisees, the Pharisees got together in John 11, they said this, what are we going to do about him? What are we going to do about Jesus? If we let him continue like this, if we let him continue to do these miracles, they said, everyone will believe in him and we'll lose our place, the Pharisees said. In other words, they were afraid, they were envious that he would take away their power, perks, and position. Exactly. And the scripture says, and from that point on, they plotted as to how to kill him. So think about this, this this anti-Jesus mindset of the religious leaders of the Jewish people, the Pharisees, 2,000 years ago, mm-hmm. because they were jealous and envious and threatened by him, that mindset has been passed on to every succeeding generation of Jews since by osmosis. Now, when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans, mm-hmm. Jewish people could no longer practice their religion right. according to the Because when the temple was destroyed, the three primary pillars of Judaism— which are the temple, the priesthood, and the sacrifices, were gone. You couldn't offer sacrifices without a temple, and without offering sacrifices, you had no priesthood. So the whole Levitical system of practicing Judaism was gone. Mm -hmm. So in 90 AD, Chuck, the religious leaders got together in a city called Yavna. And these religious leaders that got together in Yavna in 90 AD, they were the grandchildren of the Pharisees, that wanted to put Jesus to death. So when Judaism was reinvented in 90 AD at Yavna into this form that we now call rabbinic Judaism, Mm -hmm. since Torah-based Judaism can no longer fully be practiced, this rabbinic Judaism that is today's modern orthodoxy, in other words, orthodox Judaism today is rabbinic Judaism, and the originators or the creators of this rabbinic Judaism were the grandchildren of the Pharisees, that wanted to kill Jesus. So they so had to substitute a Messiah, a messianic solution, and that was good works. Yeah, it was good works, it was a ceremonies, and it was prayers. Ceremonies and prayers, yep, mm-hmm. and good works. So, uh, so you think about that, Jewish people are brought up in homes where they're taught by osmosis 
that Jesus isn't for Jews, and usually it's not talked about, it's something that just caught. Mm-hmm. And they don't realize that this anti-Jesus spirit goes all the way back to these unrighteous Pharisees that rejected Jesus, not because he wasn't the Messiah, but because they were jealous and threatened by him. So you have that, number one, that's blinding Jewish people. They mm-hmm. just say, Jesus isn't for me, that's all I know. Then the second reason is, as we know, there's been a lot of anti-Semitism towards Jewish people sure. uh, uh, from, from those that have called themselves Christians. Mm-hmm. And so Jewish people look at Jesus, and they don't necessarily look upon him as a friend, because too many Christians in the name of Jesus have persecuted them over the years. Yeah. It's unfortunate, uh, but the Bible makes it clear that there's coming a point in time when the times of the Gentiles are over. For the past 2,000 years, we have had a period that is referred to biblically as the time of the Gentiles. But that is coming to a conclusion with, of course, the uh, the rebirth of the state of Israel in 1948, and then uh, Jerusalem uh, being reestablished in 1967, and uh, now the move toward the temple just uh, in the last... Uh, I think uh, the last two weeks, there will be more Jewish people ascend the Temple Mount than ever in the last 2,000 years. So uh, something is happening there. Uh, When can we see the time of the Gentiles fulfilled and the time of the Jewish people restored? Well, too tall a question, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. is, And frankly, there's there's several prophecies in the Hebrew Bible speak about uh, Jerusalem's destruction, not its complete destruction, but that the nations of the earth are going to come against Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. It's going to appear as if it's going to be totally wiped yeah. off the face of the earth. Zechariah chapter 12, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And then at the last minute, the Lord's going to step in, reveal himself to his people. They'll look upon him whom they pierce, and mass revelation will come to the Jewish people. So I think there's a twofold process towards ushering in the Lord's return which will be ushered in by the Jewish people. Yeshua said to the Jewish people, you will not see me again until you're saying, Baruch haba, Bashem Adonai, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. So Yeshua told the Jewish people, I'm not coming back until you're asking me to come back. Wow. But I think there's a twofold process that goes along with this. Number one, there'll be a critical mass of Jewish people that will come to faith, Chuck, largely through the witness of Gentile believers like yourself and others that are listening right now. Most Jewish people that come to faith come to faith not through the witness of another Jew, but from the witness of a Gentile that's passionately in love with Jesus. And they're they're, they're more open to receive that from a Gentile than a Jew. So a critical mass of Jews will come to faith largely through the witness of Gentile believers, just like Paul taught when he said, I magnify my ministry to the Gentiles, through them, I'm going to reach my own countrymen. And the second phase of this redemption will be when this massive Jewish people that have come to faith are calling upon him to return. He will return, and then the Bible says, and then all Israel will be saved. In so other words, all just... Israel that is the Israel of God, not all Jewish people. I believe the Lord is speaking at that point that every Jewish person that's alive on the planet when he returns will be saved. Okay, because I, because Zechariah also tells us that two-thirds of uh, those who are then existing before that will lose their lives in the great existential right. uh, battle. 
Yep, very true. Yeah. One last point before our time comes to a closer, because one of the things in my book that I've done is I've tried to make spiritual application Good for, you. for God's people from these prophecies. Let me give you an example. One of the prophecies is that the Messiah will be born from a virgin. And this whole concept of, of, of supernatural birth, it didn't start with Mary in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. We have the prophecy of it uh, in, in, in the Hebrew Bible, that right. the virgin will conceive and bring forth the Son. But this whole concept of supernatural birth actually goes back to the first patriarch, Abraham, who was 100 years old with his wife, Sarah, being close to 100, mm-hmm. well past the age of childbearing. God says, at this time next year, you're going to have a son. We know the story. Sarah laughed. It sounded so ridiculous. But sure enough, God's prophetic promise came true. And the point is, is that supernatural birth did not begin with Mary in the New Testament. They began with Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament. And there are several supernatural births in the Old Testament. The prophetic application for us all is, is that God can do things in your life. I'm speaking to my beloved friends now, my brothers and sisters in the Lord. God is still the same God. He's the God of the impossible. Mm-hmm. In regards of what your situation is right now, God can do the impossible for you, beloved one. He may not even change your circumstances. It may just mean changing you. It may be giving you such power that you can live in victory over your circumstances. But I want you to, I want to encourage you to believe in a supernatural God that loves you and that you can have victory in. And I've taken every single one of these Messianic prophecies, and I haven't just stopped at the nuts and bolts in the history of them. I've made application of how they apply to your life and my life today as we passionately are pursuing Jesus, seeking to live for him and in victory over the forces of darkness that are in the earth today. Well, here we are, a Jew and a Gentile, uh, speaking together to advance the cause of Yeshua uh, Christ to blow the trumpet in Zion, to sound an alarm on his holy mountain, and uh, to prepare the way of the Lord for history's final hour. Do you think the Lord is coming soon? I think we are definitely in the times that things are going to get a lot worse very rapidly, yeah. leading to Yeshua's soon return. In other words, we're in the season, but we're not at the day or the hour. Well, no man knows the day or the hour, but I can tell you this, we're certainly in the season. Absolutely. And that's why it's so important for us to talk about this. There's a sense in which, even as you and I have talked, uh, like uh, God said to Isaiah, blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy mountain. And uh, he said that to Joel. He said to Isaiah, lift up your mouth, like a, your voice like a trumpet, and show my people uh, their, their errors. And so we're doing that. We're lifting up our voice today like a trumpet, like a shofar sound. And if anybody has ever heard the shofar, it ain't like no other trumpet on earth, is it? It is awesome. It announces the kingdom of God. I've got one in my office. I can actually blow it if you want to see how it sounds through the phone. Well, do it quickly. Okay, my friend. We're, we're, we're about to go off the air, but let's give a last shofar blow. Here. There Here you go. go. All right. Well, we got it. Thank you so much, uh, Rabbi Kurt Schneider, with his book, Messianic Prophecy Revealed, Seeing Messiah in the Pages of the Hebrew Bible. $16 will put the $20 book in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-US. 
Save USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Yes, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But even the more so, pray for the peacemaker to be realized and seen as the uh, God's divine peacemaker, the Messiah himself, Yeshua HaMashiach, that he will be recognized by the Jewish people for blindness has come upon the Jewish people for a period of time, a period of time, approximately 2,000 years. And uh, uh, now that time is going to change in which uh, there's going to be a light that is going to shine uh, much through the Gentile world, uh, Gentile believers in Yeshua who uh, are supposed to be a light Uh, As we shine into Israel, so the light of Israel will also come, as we see there in Isaiah chapter 60, I believe it is. So, join with us, friends. Become a partner. Send your gifts by faith to Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Don't wait for the other guy to do it. He's not doing it. We don't have commercial support because commercial support would try to change what we say or don't say, and we don't want to give anyone that kind of power. This is God's program, and it's about communicating the truth of the Word of God to prepare the way of the Lord for history's final hour. Become a partner. Go to our website. Make your generous gift there. Call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us. And friends, let's be the people that God would have us to be. May our own lives be a living shofar for the world. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.